Welcome to The Follow-Up, a weekly podcast that goes in-depth into projects recently reviewed on Brand New, featuring conversations with the designers and sometimes their clients, uncovering the context, background, and design decisions behind the work. Hi, this is Armin Witt, and welcome to episode 23 of The Follow-Up. This week, we're following up on Story Espresso, a coffee shop with a single location, for now, in Sydney, Australia. Having changed ownership, the new owners, Richie and Sabrina Chai, decided to redesign the brand to make it their own. The project, designed by the Sydney office of For The People, was posted on Brand New on February 8, 2021. You can pull it up on your browser at bit.ly slash bnpodcast023, that is bit.ly slash bnpodcast023, all in lowercase. This week, we're joined by Olivia King, Design Director at For The People, and Matt Groom, Senior Storyteller at For The People. In this conversation, we talk, more than usual, about the relationship of writing and branding, how it can serve as the bridge between strategy and design, how it can tug at people's emotions in a different way, and how, in this case, it can support an adorable yet fierce monster icon that serves as the quote-unquote unknown in the story where all of the coffee shop's patrons are the protagonists. Now, let's listen in as Bryony follows up with Liv and Matt. What story has brought to the coffee shop experience pretty much transcends the senses and spikes your mind in more ways than one. So if you forget like fun or gorgeous illustrations that you often find in the takeaway cups of a coffee shop that, you know, they entertain you for a few minutes, but that's about it. Story gives you words, wonderful words that really stir something in you when you read them and they let your imagination ramble long after that last sip. So today I am thrilled to be talking to Matt and Liv from For the People about this project that left me wanting more tidbits to read and enjoy. Matt, Liv, welcome to the follow-up. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much for having us. As with any design project, we need to establish a little bit of context. And I would love to hear how For the People got involved in this project from the very beginning. Like any business, we get clients that sort of come through relationships, We might have tenders where we approach other people, but this was one of those ones where they had seen our work and really liked what we were doing and obviously looking for something Sydney-based because they were Sydney-based themselves. So that was kind of at the time quite important and I think they wanted to have like quite a close working relationship with us. That was really the start of how we came to start working with Story. Pretty simple. Do you know how they were exposed to your work? No, I don't. I was really part of the initial conversations. Rich and Sabrina, who run Story, had approached Jason. So I think they sort of had that initial conversation. Jason is um, ECD, and that was the starting point. I think typically we get a lot of graphics from things like Behance or at the time our website, which was largely outdated, but has since been redone. I think it's probably through either one of those kind of areas. I ask because it's a common conversation happening of where should I put out my work? What gives me the most exposure to potentially get new clients? And both Instagram and Behance keep coming up as sources of client work. I find that very interesting. Yeah, Instagram for us is very good on that front. Perfect. Thank you for the feedback on that. It is my understanding that there was new leadership with Story. What were some of those initial conversations once you were brought into the helm? 
around the goals of the redesign? What was the purpose of what was ahead? I think it's really interesting that I think they had business ambition. They'd taken over this new cafe, but they were also looking to expand potentially to more cafes down the track using this as a bit of a foundation. And they were also looking potentially to go global with it at some point. And I think beyond that, they didn't necessarily have a specific direction in mind of what they wanted to do. They kind of inherited the name story. There was that building block. And I think they knew they wanted an aesthetic that was quite, you know, you might call it premium, something that just felt sort of modern and contemporary. But outside of that, they were very much looking for creative guidance. And I think it's pretty rare, at least in my experience, to have a client that comes to you with such a blank page. And I think it's exciting on one hand because you're without restrictions, but also it's got that typical uh, like blank page fear of when you can do anything, it's hard to know exactly what direction to go in. And their trust in us, I think, was almost scary because at every juncture, their feedback was Almost like, yep, we trust you, just do whatever, which I'm sure is going to make a lot of people feel extremely jealous hearing that. But I think it comes with it, its own particular sort of fear. We started, it must have been about two years ago now, and then there was some family health stuff on the business side that delayed things a bit and then COVID hit. It all kind of stretched out, which meant we had more time to mull it over in our heads. And once again, like more time sounds great. Except that when you're you're sitting with it for an almost like painful length of time, it gives you time to doubt it and to start messing with it in a potentially unhelpful way. It's a very interesting journey in the sort of boundless freedom of it. I think just to add to that as well, there was something that I think did provide a little bit of the boundaries for us to work within, and that was also the interior design studio that they had um, contacted to get in touch with helping them build and refit out their new shop. So they already had an existing premises, which they'd inherited, but they had a pretty strong idea of what they wanted for that interior design. And the studio they employed was uh, one based in Melbourne called Jenison, and they'd actually worked on a bunch of ASOP stores here in Australia. And so... I think with that, there was a bit of a sense of this is a slight direction and aesthetic that we want to go in. But like Matt said, for the most part, it was pretty open for us to interpret. I think they had, like I said, the parameters and sort of a little bit of those guardrails for what we should be looking and playing in. But for the most part, it was go wild. (laughs) For my own curiosity, when you initiated the project, kind of what was the timeline and what did the timeline end up being given all the interruptions? I'm not sure there was ever necessarily a firm timeline from the start. I think because it was such an extremely close collaborative relationship and they, blessed client, knew from so early before they were getting into fit out or anything at all that they wanted brand to be really baked into it, that they started the conversation with Jason so early that it was we're thinking about like what we're going to do with the fit out. We're thinking about how we want to approach. We're thinking about launch, but it's also far out that even that's not locked in yet. So there was a bit of wiggle room in the schedule from jump, but we certainly didn't expect it to blow out to the full. Yeah, I think it has been about two years that it ended up being. Yeah, I would also say with the budget, which was not a lot, I think that probably gave us a bit of a sense that this was not meant to be a long project. Like if we don't have a specific deadline, at least the budget available does give us a bit of a sense of how long we should be spending on something. I think in our minds, it was going to be quite a short project. We were going to run it lean and run it fast. But in the last two years, lots of things have happened in the world that no one would have foreseen. 
it's definitely exploded up much beyond that timeline. But I think the idea of trying to keep it quite tight has always carried through no matter what stage we've been working. It's interesting how many designs have been impacted by either being cut or expanded and grown just because everybody has a little extra time or extra mental capacity just thinking and mulling about things while waiting for decisions to be made. On the other hand, your own ethos on branding and business in general seems to be a key driver of your firm. Do you think that that was a key attraction for Story as they were seeking a firm to work with? Or was that not part of how the two would align? I think that it was partly our ethos. I think it was partly the caliber of our work. And I think it was partly that we were both small and local. I think one of the appeals of working with other people is that there's only 15 of us right now, a little less at the time. And there's never going to be any layers between the client and the people working on the project. Like Richie from Story got to work directly with Jason, our ECD, the whole time. And all of us the whole time, we were all having free-flowing conversations. And I think that was definitely part of the appeal, that it could keep its personality and we could bring the authenticity through because we were able to be really right there alongside them. So I feel like that was as important to them as our approach. And I think the other part that obviously turned out to be extremely important was our writing and storytelling capability is baked into our creative process rather than being a separate team that comes in and does work and then hands off to design like we all sit together when we can or we sit on zoom together and work through ideas together and it it helps infuse writing through the design and stops it looking a little forced which i think can happen sometimes it seems like they were looking for a relation versus a transaction and that is definitely what they got so if we go back to the beginning of the project what does that time of initial design exploration look like for your team? Who's involved? What are the goals of that initial stage? And how involved is the client in kind of the day-to-day advancement before even design is brought to the table? It ran very similar to most of our projects. Like I think if you look at anything that is an enormous project in our business through to the tiniest of projects, we all try and keep a similar sort of process along the way. And that initially sort of starts with a lot of work with the team. So I think in this case, it was quite small. Like I said, at the time, it was a case of like, we were trying to keep it quite lean. So I think there was probably about three people on it at the time. And we wanted to look at inspiration from around the world, both in and out of the sort of coffee category. Something that we wanted to do as well was really look at what Story had in terms of their ambition of scaling their brand and showing them brands that could scale internationally. You know, we were looking at things like Ace Hotel was a big one for us. And I would kind of touch on that a little bit later because that's definitely something that we got inspired by. You know, looking at Blue Bottle in the States, what they're doing, have a few ones around here. In Australia, coffee is pretty huge down here. One in particular, Coffee Supreme was really, really big for us to have a look at. And I think we're sort of just not only expanding our worldview, but also their worldview. Because I think they knew they wanted to have this sort of global brand eventually. But I think they had sort of understand and come along the journey with us around what does that mean and what does that look like? So the initial phases for us were very much just exploration, looking at inspiration and trying to understand where we want to push the brand. And I think in terms of the collaboration, they were in for weekly chats with us. Most of our projects, we try and keep it as transparent as possible. At the moment, through sort of remote stuff, we are working a lot on mural. We're trying to keep all of our working open. 
we'll just often just do an informal chat with anyone from a client team just to say, hey, here's where we're at. Let's have a look. We've always worked like that. Typically, if we're in the studio, we're working on big post-its and we're sort of scribbling out things and showing people sort of work in progress at the time, which I think it helps feel like the client can help create or co-create with us. I think they become part of that journey too. That sort of, I guess, openness in that really early stage of the process and also kind of educating ourselves as much as them is really important too. It sets up for very clear expectations. It also allows for things to be stopped and be like, okay, no, that is not the right way. That doesn't feel good from the client perspective and reel you back in and rethink before you spend, you know, 300 hours designing something and then having the client react negatively. Yeah. And for Rich and Sabrina, this was their first time working with a design studio. And I think that's something we always have to take into account when we're working with new clients, because we sometimes take it for granted that people know what a process of working with a design studio is like. For a lot of people, that's overwhelming. It's very hard to make decisions and to make directions. And people who haven't ever done this don't know what it's like to create help steer a vision. And so we are trying to always trying to find that balance of like, well, we're not trying to impose our vision. We want to make sure it's also your vision and, and really find a way to make that thing together, particularly for clients who may not have had that sort of experience before. That's a wonderful awareness to have as a firm. What was the first round of design like? Did you come in with multiple designs? Did you knew right off the bat that you had this one and that's what you brought in the door? What was that first round like? Very scary, I think. (laughs) Why? Why scary? All we had was the word story. Speaking purely for myself here, my job title is senior storyteller and There's some functional reasons for that. It helps to make clear that it is about the craft of writing, but also there's a bridge there between uh, the strategy team and the writing, and also that we work in the areas of messaging and helping to communicate stories beyond words. But also, that's my job title because I picked it because I'm very passionate about story. And when you have a blank canvas and the only brief is make it about story, the first places you go to, I think, and certainly we did, were about the aesthetics of story, all of the things around the edges, libraries and physical books, fairy tales, all those sorts of things that have a clear visual vocabulary and to some extent a verbal vocabulary, but actually there's no inherent story meaning to them at all. They're just like particular bits of ephemera around stories. So we spent a lot of time in that space and kept coming back and going, this feels shallow and inauthentic to what we're trying to communicate. So it took a good couple of painful rounds before we started to get to something that felt a lot more resonant. Going back to basics, when I first started at For the People, I was a big proponent of looking to story structure and like archetypal story structure to help us understand how we might tell stories for brands and understanding what the fundamental mechanics are for fiction storytelling that we can bring through. Going back to that is what helped us find the heart of it, which is we want to be able to celebrate and explore the breadth of storytelling without any of the ephemera becoming the dominating elements. We want it to be just purely about storytelling in all of its forms, which forces us to consider like what are the essential elements of story like how can we ensure that we're getting drama and progression baked into it even in the shortest executions and i think the real uh, light bulb moment for us was when we realized that if we make 
the person who's experiencing the brand, the protagonist of the story, the conceit is that when they come across that bit of branding, that's when the story starts. So that has to be the inciting incident of the story, and then it can go anywhere. It can go into any genre. There's no limits. In fact, the more arch, the better. And we can use a whole bunch of different storytelling forms. Like we have haikus, we have screenplays, choose your own adventure stories. But with that one foundation that was just enough for us to bring some consistency to the brand and find a take on it and go, okay, this is where we start. Once we have that touchstone, then we can embrace the freedom around it without feeling like we're just going to get lost in the woods. But it took us a long time to get there and it was, it was difficult. But in a way, it pays off because sometimes when you mull things over and over and over and over, that's when you get to the jewel. And I had actually been trying to pinpoint what was that common item through all of the copy that I had access to. And I couldn't quite grasp it, which was good because then you're not finding the formula that then is going to inform everything else. But I knew, I could sense that there was something that was grabbing everything and bringing it to a center, whether it was the choose your own adventure on the cup or copy on the receipt, things like that. I just couldn't quite find that little nugget. Well done in hiding it (laughs) and in keeping it there to guide, but not be the protagonist. Like, this is my formula. This is how it works. Where in all of this did the monster come in? I need to know more about this monster. Yeah, this is, I think, speaking of transparency and collaboration, the beautiful truth of this was we were talking to Richie one day and we're like, here's where we're at, but is there anything missing? Is there anything you like? And I think sort of shyly just said, oh, we were thinking we'd like to have a monster. And we're like, uh, okay. It's like not necessarily the sort of feedback we were looking for, but like, all right, yeah, nothing is off the table when you're in the early creative stages. And I think that making the monster work for us was a dual process. Liv can probably think too much better, which is that we realized the opportunity for it to evoke a publishing mark, but also the monster came to symbolize something that was really key to our foundation of storytelling which is the idea of the unknown like the thing that empowers every story is that it's about a protagonist who ventures into the unknown and then is changed by the unknown and that's a fundamental of the human experience that's really vitally important and we think can become missing in your daily life particularly if you're sort of like you're stuck in a rut so the brand through the lens of story came about celebrating the unknown and this like mysterious enigmatic monster was the perfect linchpin for this idea that we didn't know we needed until it was just handed to us on platter. It was one of those fortuitous moments where I think we all looked around and were like, yeah, that's exactly what we should have <laughs> from a design perspective as well. When we knew that that was something that we wanted to look at, it was pretty easy to start to look at what mythical monsters exist. History has a long string of, of monsters. Like if you look at different fables from however long ago records go, like there is always a monster. There is something that we can draw upon. We did a lot of research into what type of monsters exist, what stories have been told about monsters. And I think where we got to was something that we didn't want to overdo the monster. We also wanted to make sure it was approachable and friendly. And, and it wasn't something that was too scary, but would just tie things together as well. And something that we've been talking about a bit lately is that it's actually quite nice that it's quite a universal symbol. So when we go back to talking about the fact that the brand needs to live in different markets and globally. I think if you look around at wherever stories are told around the world, a monster represents the unknown no matter where you are. 
And so we can scale that brand with just that icon. And I think that's where we want to head at some point when we do those sort of larger coffee chains. If that happens, hopefully it will. The plan has always been for us to take a bit of this eclectic feel and for each location, spin that and actually respond locally to that. So it doesn't always have to sort of feel so it's so tight within the Sydney kind of look and feel that we can actually have that range when we go into different local markets. What will pin it together at all times is monster because it is universal and is easily understood by a lot of people. I love the way he just follows you back and forth and back and forth. You don't know if he's a good monster, if he's a bad monster, if he's evil, if he's nice. You don't know anything. It's one of my favorite marks. Yeah, he's the unknown, you know, like very much in all of his aspects. He defies knowing in so many ways. I think we'll also avoid telling his story deliberately. I don't really want to go into the backstory. We did kind of vaguely talk about it. We had a little line describing the case stuff that he just turned up one day and decided to sit in the glow of the, the light box it's above story cafe but yeah I, that's probably all we'll go into i think i have like personally more headcanon for the monster <laughs> but i'm like sworn to secrecy that it's important that nobody knows what's living in my head about where the monster came from and what his deal is yeah have you named him in your head no i actually have it because i think like he's been the monster to us for like just the monster you know full calendar monster. year at this point he's just the monster he should not have a name or a gender oh absolutely Absolutely. Going further into the design elements, Liv, if you can expand on what was your thinking behind Cooper Light and the color palette, which is scrumptious to me, and all of those other design selections, the why you made them and how you got there through your client relationship. The design has been a bit of a journey, as Matt said. It was a bit of an interesting start, quite difficult to, I would say, find this balance where I think we've ended up with this nice sort of thought it's restrained at times actually probably a lot of the time I think we try and pair it back to let the coffee be the hero at all times I think we're trying not to take away from the story we want to make every moment and every touch point that has a story readable and so you're not too caught up in the design but it is still engaging in a way that brings you in that's always been this balance we've been trying to weigh up and the early stages probably it was almost too much and there were definitely moments where gone down a lot of type routes that had sort of eclectic types. We probably, I think the first route that we had had about eight different type bases. Looking at that and having this bit of a break from that because where we essentially got to design-wise is we had these concepts and we had quite an eclectic feel to it, very different colour palette as well. And then we had this break. And once we'd had that break because of their sort of family health issues and then COVID, we sort of looked back at it with fresh eyes, which is not something that I think you get to a lot in design. You're sort of really in the moment and really having to make some quick decisions a lot of the time. And this was really nice, even though I think we wanted to get it done and out there in the world, it was actually quite nice to come back to it and look at, you know, how do these like design elements actually match up with what we're seeing in the world now? Because what we're seeing in the world now is very different to where it was before. There were some things we actually revised because we thought, you know what, I actually think this was part of a trend this time when we first made it. I think we need to like look beyond this. There were things that I think Though we wanted to just keep coming back to in a way that was subtly referencing story, but not hitting it over the head. And one of those things was the color palette, which we actually took for the most part from things like library cards. When you look on the back of a library book, 
you have those little old coloured cards. That was a starting point for us. And, you know, you've, you've got the sort of pastel blue, the pastel pink, the yellow. They're often done in a red or blue ink. That was our kind of starting point when we were looking at this again. And then we added in a couple of extra ones to kind of balance out of that range with up a little bit of a light colour as well. I think that for us, that was like all we needed, just that light touch reference was what we wanted to get. And then in terms of typefaces, we ended up stripping it back to three, although we primarily two and one is super light as you mentioned the other one is another one called dn mono which is just actually a google font but to be honest google fonts are making great fonts nowadays and it's also a really good option for small businesses which we find more and more even actually to be honest big businesses are now wanting more accessible fonts for people you know we don't necessarily go to the fancy foundries all the time anymore as much as us as sort of indulgent designers love to do that that's not always an option that was the two ones that we found. And I think, again, it was sort of about having little elements that yeah, were sort of a light touch nod to the world of storytelling. So the mono being typewriter, screenplay era, having something that was a serif that referenced more novels. And then we had a sort of functional sense that we could use when we needed to balance it all out. And between the three of those, what we really wanted to have was clearly the flex to tell whatever stories we wanted to do. Because I think by that point, we knew that the core of this project was very much about different mediums, stories told in different ways. And so to be able to reference those mediums in a kind of pared back way, we needed typefaces that would have that range. And Matt, what was the process like for you to be in your head coming up with all of these amazing little stories to see them come to life through the design and start to go out into the world? Oh, it's amazing. I think an important part of the process too is we have another writer on our team, Dan, who's our other storyteller. So the start of the process for us is batting it back and forth between each other and really workshopping each other's pieces and being ruthless a lot of the time to really draw the best out of each other. Because we have quite different styles, but I think we can also help balance each other out. And I think that relationship is a microcosm of the writing design relationship for us because we all work so closely together. I've worked with Liv for half a decade at this point. So I think we have a pretty good shorthand. You know, particularly because with this one, there are a lot of specific forms. We have screenplays, the choose your adventure style one, the haiku. I think the beauty of the brand in a lot of ways, it looks subtle, but it's quite difficult to get that to something that is visually busy as a screenplay to fit into this brand. It requires a lot of back and forth between writing and design in terms of purely the length of the copy. Obviously, when you're working to a coffee cup in a lot of instances, and we can't know exactly how it's going to be laid out. So it's sort of a case of we write a draft, I'll hand it over to Liv, Liv will have a look at it and do her best to incorporate a vision, but bring her own ideas about how this could be set up. And then it bounce back to us so that we can better serve that vision and then back and forth like that. I can't imagine working in a team where I write in a Word document and then email it away and then I see the final results when it's done, you know. We're very much over each other's shoulders all of the time, physically or digitally. I wouldn't have it any other way. I think it's a really important part of how we work. I think also something to talk about that from a design perspective, I think something that I love about the way that Matt and Dan work is that they often try to make it visual. So it's not a like dry word doc that you have to go into and then you sort of have no starting point. I think what's really great is that often they'll put it in a keynote and it's not perfect by any means, it's not designed, but it is laid out in a sort of way that captures a bit of the imagination they have and where they see it going, which I think is such a great input 
to have from a writer and that makes our job as designers translate their work much easier because I think then then I get a sense of maybe certain words they wanted more emphasis on or maybe they saw little details actually being quite small and in this spot and that is like a huge part of our process I think is to try and like I guess close that gap between writing and design to make it a lot easier to translate the two. I think that process of walking it up is a really important sense check for us as well. I work in comics as a side gig and working with artists in that form has a lot of similarities in that you really need to be playing to each other's strengths. And if you write a script that looks great as a script but doesn't work as a comics page, you've done a bad job. And I think it's easy when you're writing for design to just write something that seems great but isn't actually achievable. And then when the designer comes back to you and is like, oh, I had to come up with these compromises so it doesn't quite work how you thought it would, if that gets to that point, part of that is on you because you've handed over something to the designer that isn't workable, that isn't fit for purpose. So in mocking things up before we send it to the design team, it's our way of going, okay, It might seem great in a word doc, but when it hits the real world, is it going to fly? It always is changed and becomes much better through the design process, but the point of that is to just make sure there is a way it could work. It's often not the way it does work. Clearing that base hurdle of like, is this actually reasonable? Yeah, sense check for writers who can sometimes get a little lost in conceptual fantasy land. It seems the teamwork really brings the best out of the situation and everybody by pushing each other while collaborating with each other, while listening to each other throughout the entire process, not just at key points. You know, every two weeks we meet and we exchange ideas and we go back to our desks and do our thing. From what I've seen of your work that comes across, that collaboration, that depth definitely comes across through your other projects as well. Story definitely benefited from that. So I want to start to kind of wrap it up. And you've mentioned that there's plans of local expansions and eventually worldwide. What role do you see the firm and yourselves taking on moving forward? Are you going to be designing every location? Are you at some point giving over a kit of parts and saying, move on? What do you think is in your future? I think this is a really interesting one. No concrete plans are made, so we're not here to announce (laughs) that we'll be doing more locations. No, no, understandably. And there's COVID to take into account too. Totally. There's, There's a lot of factors, but I do think that this is something of a different project for us in that it's not a brand voice project where we write a set of tone guidelines and then write examples with the idea that everyone within the organization is able to write in that tone. And that's something that we absolutely believe in. I think our West Coast Tasmania work, we're really proud of the fact that we took the community voice, helped like define it, and then went and taught them how they can write in that way to express themselves. But I think there's a very different sort of offer that we're getting into more and more now. To me, I see a bit of a blank space between ad writing and brand voice, where there's writing for brands that is done by professionals and isn't designed to like anyone can pick up and do it because it's craft but it's not explicitly for advertising either it's infused throughout the entire brand and we've started calling that offering our storytelling offering where the idea is that we work with you throughout all of the brand experience to craft all of the verbal elements 
Which isn't to say that the story will collapse if we're not involved in the next cafe. I think more it's that we've set a standard where it would be very important for them to work with collaborators who are writers to roll out. I think that that's not necessarily a bad thing. If you want to have a brand that trades on writing, you need to invest in writing craft in the same way. that if you want a, a brand that looks good in design, you need to invest in design craft. So yeah, it's a bit of a different one in that way, but I think that it's particularly achievable for a smaller business like a cafe or a series of cafes. They're not a mega corporation with a million touch points that you know couldn't reasonably have the brand affecting all of its writing. It's much more achievable, and the impact I think is demonstrable for uh, taking this slightly different approach. I think from a design perspective, and even as a project. We've loved working on this and I love the idea of us being able to continue doing that and continue wherever they grow to. But I also might also involve us taking a a step backwards to let other stories, the local stories from local writers or even local designers actually take a more front foot and, and more prominent place because I don't think that we could presume to write for those audiences and I would actually love to see the brand evolve into something that is reflective more authentically of those places that are near where the the, the coffee shops sorry end up so yeah I, I mean selfishly I would love to stay involved there's definitely a good chance that we would in some form or another but I would definitely see our role as being maybe guardians or sort of to give a little bit of guidance around how we can tell the stories and to sort of at least have the through line of the protagonist being the starting point and offer guidance in how we can write stories around that, but not necessarily be the ones to tell those stories of the markets, the coffee shops open up. And the design as well, I mentioned at the start, Ace Hotel was always a big inspiration for us because I think the way that you look at the different hotels in the different cities, they're always a bit different and they're always a bit more reflective of the soul of that place. And in the same way, I think that's what we always envisioned for the story was that it would be not about a Sydney cafe brand expanding across the world it would be about a brand that reflected the areas in which it was not so much being one monolithic sort of what i love about the ace hotels is that yes each one is different but you can always tell it's an ace hotel the moment you walk in so it would be wonderful to see that from story and i love the fact that you want to recognize the local voices and local designers and become kind of a guider of the brand i think that would be a wonderful spot to be in for a while while they grow hopefully soon because i would like to have a story in my backyard they do make a great coffee as well richie is very passionate coffee head wherever they grow to there will be beautiful coffee or not those are the best coffee shops the ones where the owners actually care about the coffee anyways question that i would love for both of you to answer what's the most exciting part of the identity for you in particular what I really love about it, something I think we were able to bring to it because of the creative freedom, was the breadth of tone, particularly in writing. And I understand why this is the case. Clients love their sassy, witty lines. Like humor is something that obviously has universal appeal. I love humor too, but I think it can sometimes become synonymous with brand writing when I I really don't think it should be. With story, we gave ourselves the ability to demonstrate what we can do. And there's a bunch of what I think is, you know, funny stuff. And I'm proud of stuff. It's fun and it's funny and there's a wit to it. But there's also some stuff that's very earnest, that's 
melancholy and designed to pluck some strings that don't always get plucked by writing in brands because I think it's not necessarily seen as valuable. And I think that it's a rare and privileged opportunity to, in my mind, do a little bit of trailblazing in demonstrating, like, you can move people in a bunch of different ways. Obviously, branding is about differentiation. And when you move people in a way that they're not necessarily moved typically, that's going to make more of an impact. So to me, the parts of the brand that I'm most proud of are the ones that rather than making you chuckle after you've read them, they make you kind of sit back and go, oh, that one hurt a little bit. Because that's as much a part of the human experience as anything else. And that should have a place in our creative expression. Absolutely. I've spent the last, I don't know, year and a half or something reading mostly research books and after we post on brand new, I was like, oh, man, I really need to get back to stories. This is getting a little tedious. And this is a lot more fun and emotional. I do recommend them. <laughs> yes. But it kind of dawned on me that I've been on this research track for so long that I really need to step back. My touch point was completely different and unexpected in the sense that it had nothing to do with coffee or anything. It was just a moment of realizing I haven't read anything like this in a long time. And I should because I love reading. I'm a big believer that it's an, a nourishment that is a real human need. There's a reason that stories are universal across cultures and even some of the structural elements of universal are really fundamental human need. And if we can remind people of that while then we do their other fundamental human need of coffee, then all the better. Yeah, I thought I was meeting my need by reading. I am a voracious reader, but no, I have to go back to stories. The thing that's most exciting to me is the writing, like, you know, the monster I love just personally. The, the writing is just something that adds so much depth to the design. And as a designer, having that to work with can be rare and can be hard to come by. And having it just makes you feel like what you're making and creating is going to touch people on a kind of different level and actually, as Matt said, get to the heartstrings. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes I think, you know, design has to take a step back and let those sorts of things shine more. And as a designer, that's a really exciting thing to see. When I was there the other week, I was picking up some coffee cups just to sort of have a look at them for the first time. And two people had just ordered their coffees. They started to walk away. And I was just watching them in the middle of their morning commute. They're clearly hurried and they start walking really fast. And then at about 10 paces down the road, they just stop and they just start to read the coffee cup. And it was such a beautiful moment because I knew it wasn't about the design. It was about what had been written on that cup. And you don't get those moments as much when you are just making something about aesthetic. And I think this was such a beautiful moment. And I mean, I've always loved any brand that has strong storytelling. I think of stuff like the Monster Supply shop in London as a brand which was for storytelling. I just always was so enamored by that because I, I would look at the detail that they went into where every little moment was thought of. And that's, I think, something that we've tried to do on this as much as we can. We're constantly excited to see what Matt and Dan write. We're still doing new things for them. I think we were doing loyalty cards the other day and I can't wait to see what Matt and Dan have written for it because each time it's something new and something interesting and then it gives me a little design challenge to think, of, all right, cool, how am I going to go about doing justice to these words? Wonderful. Well, with that, I'm going to wrap it up. It's evening here. It's morning for you, but I just realized it's Thursday and the library opened again this week and I have like two hours to get there. I'm going to grab my dinner and then head down to the library and get myself some books because I am thirsty. Yes. Get a story. Absolutely. I am thirsty. Thank you so much for your time, for spending your morning with me.
I can't thank you enough for sharing all of your insight and your particular details of this brand. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. It's been lovely. Hearing about the working dynamic between For the People's writers and designers, it's no surprise that the resulting identity is so rich, detailed, and cohesive. Also, hearing about how the clients thought that the one element that was missing in the initial round of work was a monster, for no particular reason, is the kind of brutally honest content you don't often get to hear about. And we're here for it. As well as for all of the wonderful words written on all of the brand touchpoints, from coffee cups to napkins, even to the receipt, which makes it just a little harder to discard as easily as one typically does. And that is the power of words. Today, thanks for listening. Until next time, we'll be here. We hope you'll be there. <laughs>